0: This episode of the Aquademia podcast is sponsored by Aqua Bounty. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin, I'm Justin Grant,
1: and I'm Maddie Cassidy.
0: And today we are getting a chance to look at What it's like owning a small business in a very small local community within the seafood industry, something that we don't normally take a look at. We are sitting down with Emily Sellinger, who is the founder, CEO of sole operator, owner, uh, owner, farmer, farmer, only employee of Emily's Oysters. And uh, she has a really cool story about kind of how she got into Oyster farming and some of the challenges that she's faced and, um, you know, kind of, we just kind of talk about what it's like to be running a small business in a local community and it's a really great conversation and I think you're going to enjoy it. But before we get into it, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so you get every new
2: episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as they're available. And follow us on Twitter at Pod if you want to contact us for any reason. Do you want to sponsor the podcast? Do you want to be a guest? Do you have topic suggestions? You can do all that on our online forum located at globalseafood.org slash podcast.
1: And if you enjoy this episode with Emily, then be sure to leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on.
0: That's it. So with that, please enjoy this conversation we had with Emily and we will talk to you at the end.
3: Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast.
2: Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood.
3: This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood.
0: So we're sitting down today with Emily Selinger, who is the CEO, founder, and CEO.
3: Yeah, owner, operator, farmer. Owner, operator, CEO, all of the above. <laughs> all of all
0: of the above. She is the <laughs> she is the all of the above of Emily's oysters. How's mm-hmm. it going, Emily? Thanks for joining us.
3: Good. Thanks for having me. It's going well.
0: And it's too bad you probably could, if we had set this up a little bit, if we were a little better organized with this, we probably could have gotten you to come to the office and record in person. But yeah,
3: you're not far away from me. I don't think. Are you? No, Are you no. In New we're, Hampshire.
0: Yeah, we're in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, we're not far, but uh we're we're glad you were able to log in and talk to us today. We're gonna to be talking about a few different things, but before we get into the kind of the meat and potatoes of our conversation, I want to learn about you. I want our listeners to know who they're hearing from. So why don't you give us your story, kind of who you are, where you came from, and how you got into seafood.
3: Sure. Um, my name is Emily Sellinger. I uh grew up in Freeport, Maine, which is uh not quite where I live now, but I'm not far from there. Um and I do run my business out of my hometown of Freeport. Um, I came to work in seafood through kind of a funny circuitous route of, um, by, by Yeah. <laughs> I, I started my, my Marine career, I guess, um, working as a professional sailor, uh, mostly on schooners and traditionally rigged sailboats, um, and mostly working with educational organizations, um, and sort of traveled far and wide and, um, Worked my way up in that world and really kind of thought that that was my career for the time being. But
0: can I interrupt real quick? Yeah. What do you actually do as a professional sailor?
3: Um, I was. uh, (laughs) Besides, like, like I get that you, I get that you
0: sail, but like, what, what
3: what do you do? It's all of the like you know mechanical functionings of operating a boat that's underway um, from sail, and these are actually sailboats, so sail trim, adjustments, raising, lowering, um, running the boat, standing watch, driving the boat, standing lookout, um, keeping things working and safe and clean. It's like, it's a huge amount of different stuff to be honest. Um, and I started out in that world as a deckhand, um, which is basically like, you know, physical labor you're, you do as you're instructed. Um, the boats that I was really excited to be working on were ones that were doing educational programming and sail training programming with kids. So we often had like student crew as well, um, who were taking classes and also learning how to sail. And so we were sort of teaching as we were, you know, maneuvering the boat around, um, whatever that may be. The boats that I worked on did a lot of offshore sailing too. So we would do longer passages out, you know, Boston to Bermuda, Bermuda down to the Virgin Islands. Um, did a really cool trip from Boston through the up around Nova Scotia through the St. Lawrence Seaway into the Great Lakes one summer um, so all kinds of stuff and i I um really loved that work and stayed in worked my way up and um, sailed for a long time as the first mate um, and had to have a captain's license from that time and nice. did some relief captaining and yeah.
1: Nice. That's super so that's what cool. That is.
3: <laughs> the the hard part for me was that it is like you essentially live at work. I was living on the boats that I was working yeah. on right. um, and as you get into more management roles, you are uh living with the people who you, you know, organize and manage throughout the day mm. and it gets a little lonely and isolating and challenging and it's hard to do long term. Um
0: Yeah, I can see that.
3: I really yeah, I missed having a, a home base and having friends who are not also my coworkers having a house that wasn't always like leaking and stays in one place. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I, that's the
0: dream for some people, right?
3: Some people really love it. Um, and I really loved like a lot of aspects of it. Um, but yeah, I really, I missed Maine. Um, so I, I kind of just like up and quit. Um, after a while, and I I moved back home, lived with my parents, did some odd, you know, sort of marine adjacent jobs, um, eventually wound up working as a stern man on a lobster boat out of Portland, um, and at around the same time, made a friend with a young woman um, who had recently started her own small scale oyster farm, uh, not far from where I was living. and we really hit it off and she took me out to show me what she was up to. And I just kind of saw a really cool opportunity, um, in her model to kind of recreate for myself, my own, you know, real small scale, um, sea farm and saw a no way to, you know, be working on the water living here, um, and starting my own business, which I, I don't think I really realized until that point in time it seemed like a pretty appealing thing for mm. me. So how
2: many so. years ago was that moment when you were looking at this woman you came in contact with and she was running her small yeah, oyster I operation?
3: Think, I think it was 2016 that okay. I met her.
2: I'll come back to that because I'll be yeah. curious to see what the oyster industry, farmed oyster industry was like back in 2016. Yeah,
3: it's, ch- mm. it's changed a lot in not yeah, very much time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. So, what was that process like of really starting your own business from the ground up? in the seafood industry?
3: It's been interesting. I think I it it all has happened kind of organically. And I, I think when I first really kind of got interested in it and started my own small farm, it was not necessarily with the intention to turn it into like a business or a full-time, a full-time right. job for myself. It was really just like kind of experimental and very small. Um,
0: Try this out, see if I like it.
3: And- yeah. <laughs> and I really, I don't know, I... I kind of messed around with different kinds of gear and I, you know, I had the luxury at the time because there weren't a ton of people in my area getting into it to like think about where a good site would be for me to work from. And I kind of had my pick of the bay, which now is like, I'm so grateful for <laughs> um, I hundred percent would be not, not in the wildly convenient, awesome spot that I'm in now if I was just getting started. Um, mm. So it is kind of, I'm lucky in that I had the time and space to just really do it very organically. Um, And yeah, it has changed every year. I did not like set out with a complicated, you know, or a specific business plan of any kind. I have really um, been winging it and playing around with what works for me. And um, yeah, it's been really fun. And surprisingly successful for the lack of planning (laughs) (laughs)
1: what's (laughs) been the hardest part for you to for like when it comes to either starting your business or currently where it stands now like of running your own business the
3: hardest part um i think for me um because i didn't go the route of like working for a professional or a more established farmer or business um the hardest part hasn't necessarily been like doing the work, but been kind of anticipating as my business has been growing, like what I will need in terms of like gear, space, money, um, market, all all of that. I think that like anticipation and kind of lack of a framework to plan around or uh, an example to really go off because me and Amanda. The woman who introduced me to this were so like close in start time. We both kind of were were. You just starting kind of dove out. in
0: the deep end. Huh?
3: Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, you're doing this. This seems cool. I want to. I want to do this too. And we can like, <laughs> you know, we can commiserate and help each other out as need be. Yeah. And so be that now. would
0: actually be a great lesson for anyone who wants to get into this once you get started. Like, find yourself a mentor. We've done a couple yep. career pathways episodes where that's been some uh, some advice that some folks that we've interviewed have given is like find a mentor that can help you with all that stuff like
3: yeah
0: the unknowns like there's going to be a lot that you don't know and there's always someone who does know so you know <laughs> yeah. find that person and uh you save yourself a lot of
2: learning opportunities
3: <laughs> yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah
2: so in the beginning I'm just trying to uh, I'm putting myself into your shoes and things that I would have thought about what my first question is are you an oyster lover so you had some sort of passion already and you knew hey this i can benefit from this too because free oysters yes yeah, that's,
3: that absolutely 100 was part of the initial appeal for me um i do love oysters i have loved them for as long as i can remember eating them um so yeah totally like oh i could have my own little oyster bed <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah
2: and then yeah. Que- so question two then would be you know when you're trying to start something like this and again i'm sure where you are now and where you were back in say 2016 mm-hmm. it's changed a lot and i'm sure there's things that you just wouldn't have imagine have have happened the way they have but was the startup costs relatively inexpensive say compared to you know other types of businesses people start like you want to start in a restaurant you need to get the space you need to get the equipment and yeah. staff and for this you don't have is it just you at the in 2016 you and guidance yep. through a mentor and then X amount of equipment, like, was that startup costs relatively or comparable, comparably inexpensive?
3: I mean, it, it was the way I did it. And, uh, you know, which was not starting out with the intention of, of building a business like from day one, that was going to be something that supported me full time. I think, you know, okay. if I had started out that way, I could have shaved maybe a year of working two jobs off of my, you know, timeline. Um mm-hmm but it also would have been a lot more expensive. Oyster farming is not a cheap um, proposition on any scale. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I guess it depends a little bit on how you do it, but um, mostly in Maine with our geography, we are um, farming, you know, using a good amount of gear. And yeah, yeah, so it wasn't, it didn't like break the bank for me because I did start really small and very slowly. Um, And I, you know, I was able to self fund that initial mm-hmm. phase through just my own savings and no barking no <laughs> special um, guest on the podcast today folks. yeah he i'm hoping he will he is listening to kids outside <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> no no <laughs> worries
1: um, we love dogs
3: yeah no i think if i had jumped in and been like um this is going to be my full-time job i have to buy all of this gear to grow you know a hundred thousand oysters in my first year that would have been you know like i would have needed to Go find myself some money, um, yeah, yeah. but because I did it the way I did, I have been able to self fund through just my own savings. I I was fortunate enough to get a couple of small business grants here and there, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's more been a slow, steady.
2: So steady has there build. been uh, has the state of Maine helped you through some of this startup? I mean, I'm guessing in 2016 there wasn't a ton of, and I'm just making assumptions yeah. again. I don't really know, but were there some sort of state aids? In anyone that was trying to start in this business,
3: um, a little bit. There was some resources through our Sea Grant, and uh, we have a, a local NGO organization called the Island Institute. Um, okay, yep. that in the first year that I was getting started was running this like aquaculture like boot camp, basically. That because um, they were, it was sort of you know in line with their their work to promote sustainable seafood and to introduce more people to aquaculture. Um, I think a lot of the basis for that at the time, um, for that class in particular was like to target lobstermen and people working in other traditional wild fisheries to show them some other, you know, sustainable means of, of growing and harvesting seafood as, you know, just potential future alternatives in case our, you know, our lobster industry takes a nosedive. which is kind of an existential threat due to climate change and other things right now, <laughs> as well. Oh yeah,
2: and we've talked so, about that in other episodes actually. Yeah, s- have specifically you? targeting Sculls. Maine in the in the fisheries mm-hmm. industry and how a lot of those wild fisheries, yeah. um, or anyone in that in that line of work, is looking for another income source. And farming and aquaculture has, has yep. been one of those points of interest for a lot of them.
3: Yep. Yep. So that was like kind of just getting started here when I was getting started. And I like because I happened to be working as a stern man at the time on a lobster boat, I'm not sure that I would have been able to access that resource in particular. Um, because they were very specifically looking for people with that kind of like fisheries experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. but when I applied, you know, and I also had I think that the, that was their criteria. They were like it's was exclusively for people with In fisheries jobs already, and people who had their own boat. Which I, you know, I my dad had a boat, (laughs) so I said yes.
0: (laughs) You had a boat that Um, you
3: could
2: use. Yeah,
3: yeah. So it was it was pretty targeted. There wasn't a ton of stuff out there, um, Hmm. but there was some, a little bit here and there. So
0: so when you were getting started back in 2016, was there a lot of oyster farming happening in Maine, or was it like were you one of the first to kind of kick this off?
3: not like there is now. There's we have a like hotbed of oyster farming. Our you know, the first area to to really get into it has always been the Damariscotta River. Um mm-hmm. and there are farms there that are, you know, 40 years old now. Oh wow. Um they were really like the pioneers of aquaculture in Maine. Um but outside of that area, uh there had been very little kind of until I don't I don't I think probably not 2016, but maybe five years before that was when people started to like move outside of that region and, and it sort of started to pick up steam and attention. And a lot of that had to do with, um, the, you know, the state being like, this is something that we think would be valuable to yeah. encourage. Um, and, and then we also, in. yeah. And invest in, and then we also have a trade organization, um, in Maine that has been around for I'm not sure how long um definitely since before well before then um the main aquaculture association and they I I know were pretty heavily involved in working with the state to make it easier for people to get into aquaculture on a very small scale so that they could try it out and experiment and you know think about starting businesses so that was that was all like the kind of precursor to the the boom that is now happening um mm. and you know i was like probably the the first wave of um at least in in casco bay so
2: so i'm just excited to hear more about the story like the how you grew right so we're, we've focused a lot about the startup mm-hmm. you know 2016 all these things that that you needed that you were considering how did you go from 2016 to 2023. I, I know that we're probably going to talk about the amount that you harvest is significantly more. But ha- yeah. so, can you walk us a little bit more through through that storyline yeah. and, and and some of those successes, some of, maybe some of those failures, or things mm-hmm. that have changed and how you got to where you are now?
3: Yeah, um, I think so. Sometime after my first little year there, I I was like, this is so cool. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be doing. Anything else with my time, um, mm-hmm. and I think it coincided with taking some other classes and you know, um, just more more time thinking about what the options would be with this. Um, and I I think I kind of always operate in the in the vein of just sort of wanting to do things a little bit differently than other people. And so I in the time that I was thinking about you know how what does a business look like if I turn this into a business, um, I think I knew that I. I didn't want it to be big. Um, I really like working alone. Um, and I had been doing a lot of, you know, people managing and less hands-on work in my later years working on sailboats. And it really didn't bring me the joy. Like I am just a worker. Like I like to do stuff and be active and work hard. (laughs) And I I knew that I didn't want to like, start a big business where I was going to be in an office or managing lots of other people doing the fun, what I think is yeah, the fun yeah. stuff. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. so I knew that, um, I also wasn't really in a position to like take out a huge loan either. So I also knew that it was going to be kind of like a slow, a slow roll. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and in the first year that I had, you know, more than like a hundred oysters to, (laughs) to harvest, (laughs) I still didn't have enough to like, you know, go strike up, a, or I didn't feel like I had enough to like go strike up a relationship with a wholesaler or a restaurant Mm -hmm. that was going to want like, you know, a reliable, larger quantity of, of product from me. And that felt a little like awkward. So I, I, I don't know. I did a lot of thinking and kind of, um, yeah, just talking with friends and family and sort of came up with the idea of, of marketing my oysters more in a like more traditional agricultural kind of way. Um, mm. and started with that, the concept of a CSA, a community supported agriculture program, um, where, uh, you know, traditionally the consumer pays ahead of time for like the promise of being able to cash in on that farmer's crops down the road. Um, And I really like the idea of that model because it would, in theory, you know, help me, you know, pick up a little bit more money earlier on, you know, Mm -hmm, be able to harvest the smaller quantity of oysters that I had for that year and, and get my name out there a little bit and meet some people and share some oysters. Um, and that, um, was like, you know, I think I only, I, I made it. Instagram account for my business, and you know, set up an LLC. and In that first year, like that was it. I was only doing the CSA um, because I don't live in a super convenient place. I I offered it with a, a weekly delivery option. So on Fridays, I I drove around to people who wanted oysters from their CSAs wow. and delivered them in like local area. I had a you know a limited delivery area, and it was only one day a week. Um, I was still lobstering part time. Um. Hmm. So it was like the only day I was like I can't fish on Fridays. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's delivery <laughs> that's <it>. day. <laughs> Fridays are delivery day. And I was yeah, I was working for a really really great wonderful guy who was psyched for me to be starting my own business, so he was fine with it. Yeah. Um Did that did that work great. did the
0: CSA model work for you for the first year or did you see some drawbacks? I mean, drawbacks it was to it?
3: It definitely had drawbacks um, and like things that were obvious to me from the get-go that like, obviously like hand delivering oysters, even for a business that is only supporting one person um, is hard. And it also, it took a lot more like marketing time on my end to like, you know, because how are people going to find me otherwise? (laughs) It was pretty obvious, like in that first year, like this would be, better if i had a physical location where people could pick up more frequently you know and not on one day a week um Mm -hmm. and the like kind of logical addition to that for me was adding a farmer's market into my schedule or two Mm -hmm. because not only then would i have a regular place for csa customers to come find me um on a you know a schedule that works for them um but i would also you know just be able to, to reach all of the other people. Moby, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah, it just, they, you know, farmers markets come with a, a huge client base as is. Um, so it seemed like it would be less work in, in finding people who would be interested in, in an oyster CSA. So that was, you know, year two, three, I've lost track now,
0: but (laughs) I feel like, yeah, (laughs) I feel like only in a place like Maine will you like the doorbell will ring and be like, Oh honey, the oysters are here.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, totally. And it was tricky too. like, I don't, uh, you know, I don't, it depends on the time of year, but like leaving oysters on someone's doorstep in the summer, if they're not home, like that was a challenge yeah. to work around Ooh, and I, yeah. I like leave a cooler out for me please but people yeah. forget and it's um yeah it there were there's i still have a small i still do deliveries occasionally around like major holidays because i there is a small gaggle of people in my customer base who freaking love it and are always home um yeah, yeah. it's convenient <laughs> for them so um yeah uh but by and large it was It was just a little more challenging than I wanted it to be. Um, And it wasn't as popular as I wanted it to be either. Um, Or it required more marketing than I had the time or energy to do.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because like you you said, when you were those first few years, you were, there was not nearly as much being produced as there is now, right? No. So so you you think that it would be a little bit easier to kind of build that customer base and maintain it and stuff. But, you know, without that marketing piece, like you said, how are people going to find you?
3: Yep. That's hard. Yeah, so it is hard.
0: You mentioned in the beginning uh, that there's been tons of changes and it's changed very rapidly <laughs> uh, over the last few years. Yeah. Can you talk about some of the changes that you've seen, what it was like then versus what it's like now in this kind of short time that you've been in this industry?
3: I mean, the biggest change is just that there are so many more people growing oysters now. Um, there's tons of of businesses that are you know popping up as a result of that um, on a pretty big range of scale, but um, a lot of smaller businesses, um, I think primarily, which is I think kind of cool. And I remember in the years that I was you know still kind of taking classes and getting started, and uh, a lot of like kind of negative talk about, oh, like we're gonna swamp the market and the price is gonna tank. And like, there's gonna be so many oysters that people are trying to sell. Um, it's just gonna be bad for everyone. And I think like, resoundingly that has not happened. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm a, a little bit outside of the wholesale market because of this is, you know, direct to consumer has remained my focus. Um, but I think that the price is higher right now than it ever was at in those like early years. Um, And there's just like a huge and seemingly growing demand for oysters from Maine as well, Um, which is also cool. I think you see a lot of Maine oysters on menus, especially here in state, um, Mm. which is exciting to people. And it's also like because there are so many oysters out there now, it just is like it is, I think, slowly catching up with the like just the pride of. Place and product that like lobster has in Maine, you know, like oh, but have you had our oysters?
1: Um, right, yeah. That story behind it. There's yeah.
2: definitely a, and I don't know if I've said this on the show before, but oysters are like the micro breweries of seafood. <laughs> yes. I mean, and you talk <laughs> about flooding the market. There's, I mean, when I buy local beer, I feel right. like everything's How many from Portland. Do we have? There's, like,
3: there's so many.
2: And they're (laughs) flooded the market, but no one's complaining about it. And I think and I I live in Maine. And to your point, yes, on the menu, there is when you order oysters, they tell you where exactly they're coming from. And Mm -hmm. that's no different than when you're ordering from like a brewery that just houses like whether it's Maine or, you know, Maine, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Vermont beer, like it's all that. okay. this is where it's coming from. And I think consumers really, really. Like that, and yeah,
3: I think it's appealing to people.
2: So yeah, I don't think we ever have to worry about flooding the market. No, although I wish oysters maybe were a little bit cheaper because (laughs) yeah, that's true. (laughs) I don't get too many, but they are tasty. I'll tell you what, I was in so
0: I you know I went to Stowe, Vermont, this past weekend. Yeah, and uh, we stayed at a ski lodge, and they had uh, like buckshuck oysters on Saturday afternoon. I thought that was like non-existent. It was a dollar each, and it was delicious. Yeah. They they did not tell us where they were from. <laughs> it wasn't like when you go to any <laughs> seafood restaurant around here and it's like, these are your different options for oysters. It was just like, oysters. <laughs>
1: get Funny. oysters.
0: They're a dollar each during between this time and that time. And uh, and they were delicious. And I just didn't expect to get delicious oysters for in Vermont. But uh, they were a dollar each. So it happened. It's still out there. You just got to know where to look. You got to go inland, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that actually brings up another question that I have for you, which is flavor profile based off where the oysters are coming from was that something you had to learn throughout this process or
0: is do you not have a lot of options because you you know it depends on where you are and you have an established place so yeah
3: i I can't tell the difference
2: between wines really yeah i'm
3: not a super taster and i have not (laughs) taken the time to like take a tasting class i don't I really am more of a farmer. And for me, like my limitations as a like single operator person without a ton of money to buy fancy equipment, like Mm -hmm. the type of place that I was going to be able to site my farm in was pretty specific. Um, and I just didn't have options in that regard. Um, I think like I had had, some of Amanda's like first crop of oysters and thought they were delicious. And was like, I'm gonna put my farm near hers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I want mine to taste like that.
3: Yeah, like, that, that'll do. Um, yeah, I, that was not like, I think I just started and was like, I hope they taste good.
2: Um, yeah, mm-hmm.
3: There were a lot of other, other factors that were like more pressing for me mm-hmm. in like just being able to to make things happen.
0: We're going to take a quick minute to hear a word from our sponsor, Aqua Bounty. AquaBounty raises fresh Atlantic salmon in a safe, secure, and sustainable way. AquaBounty is addressing the growing global demand for sustainable protein with a more consistent and scalable source of nutritious salmon. By using genetic engineering and the latest technology, AquaBounty salmon are raised responsibly in large, carefully monitored, and land-based farms that protect the fish from disease, contaminants, and the rising temperatures of our oceans. As a result, AquaBounty offers nutritious salmon that is good for you and good for the planet. Learn more at AquaBounty.com. That's A-Q-U-A. B-O-U-N-T-Y
2: dot com. I'll just add real quick that I'm taking a ton of mental notes because I'm you are one of my role models for how your success has grown because I'm oh, starting gosh. a beekeeping. I'm a backyard oh, beekeeper. Cool. But there's so many nice. th- questions and I wouldn't yeah. necessarily call them struggles, but it's like Challenges. how does my how does my honey taste compared to other people? Like mm-hmm. am I doing these pro- procedures correctly? Like how do I yeah. market this product? Like at what point do I want to sell it to the general public? Do I need to get an LLC? Like what is that cost going to be? <laughs> and there's I have all this like <laughs> the legal advice. It's like going on. I'm like yeah. after I pay all this stuff, I don't think I'm producing enough product to make yeah. any of this worthwhile yet. So I need to grow. I need to learn. And so. I mean, it's, 2016 I, yeah. to now is is a good span of time, and I, this is only my second year. So I'm like, okay, I think I'm i sure your wife is
0: super excited that you could potentially be like buying more hives and more equipment. She she probably loves that. No,
1: well,
2: I'm gonna block this episode from her.
1: <laughs>
2: I'll say we didn't air one this week. I'll give you like, you like a like
0: man. a like a broken link or something. You can yeah, send there her. we go. Yeah, <laughs> here, listen.
3: A link that goes nowhere. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I. I tend to be like kind of an over planner um, in most aspects of my life.
1: Okay, so now that you've kind of taken us from 2016 to 2022, where we are today, could you take us through what a normal day looks like for you? And maybe the term normal day is not really the case for you, (laughs) but what a day in the life looks for you at Emily's Oyster's?
3: Yeah. uh, Well, it's, I, there's a, a couple different versions of a normal day, I guess, in my like average week. Um, and it depends certainly on the time of year. Uh, but during the like spring, summer and fall, um, there's a ton of work that happens on the water, whether it's, you know, bringing things up from the winter and getting ready for the growing season, all of the stuff that happens during the growing season. And then this time of year, I'm kind of um, deep into getting ready for winter, um, and putting things down for, for the cold season. Um, so, you know, most days I'm up pretty early and I'm out on the water and I'm doing whatever, you know, seasonal, uh, task is, you know, at hand at that time. Mm. Um, and those are usually pretty long days, although they're a little Dependent on the tides and and the project and what is you know in the works at the time, um, I'm harvesting for most of the year harvest twice a week and I go to um, two or three different farmers' markets, um, so there are some days where i'm it's you know a market day where I am getting up not quite as early and loading up the truck and going and setting up at a farmer's market and selling oysters. Um,
0: Those are good and, days,
3: yeah. <laughs> those are, yeah, I like those days. It's funny. It's like, for me, I really, again, love to work alone. Um, and I'm more productive, I think, at, as a solo operator, but it's like a lot of time to spend alone at the same time. And I'm not like a super social outgoing person, but it's the perfect balance for me right now to have like two days a week where I'm at market, like talking to people. Mm-hmm being social <laughs> and then the rest of the time I'm um, with the dog on the boat <laughs> well I can tell you <laughs> what if you uh, the dog, so.
0: if you if you need something to keep your mind occupied while you're out there working by yourself I have a podcast I can recommend <laughs> that uh, you know over a hundred episodes there's a lot of <laughs> yeah, good content sorry. there so I'll send you a link
3: I do okay <laughs> great <laughs> that's awesome i do sometimes listen to podcasts yeah, yeah.
1: that's probably what yep. i would do all day is just like listen to podcasts yep. relax yep. as you're out on the water R- yeah
0: relax as much as you can while you're you know like yeah. flipping right. oyster cages <laughs> yeah <laughs> it
1: sounds kind of like relaxing in a way <laughs> it is rela i mean it's a lot
3: of repetitive work therapeutic and, like, is probably a better way yeah yeah it's I don't know. There's a peacefulness to it. For yes. Sure.
1: Peacefulness.
2: Is there a farmer's market in Freeport that happened that reoccurs that you attend? Or? There,
3: there never was, except they started one this year um, Okay, Um on Fridays. And I am actually contemplating switching my schedule up a little bit next year so that I can maybe join that market mm. and see how it goes. Because I have a lot of, I grew up in Freeport. My parents still live there. I have, a lot of customers in Freeport, mm-hmm. um, because they just know who I am Right. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and, but it's not, it's like a really, it's an inconvenient place for me because I don't live there and my schedule on and off the water is kind of very weather tide dependent. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like when people want oysters for me, it's just this kind of annoying, challenging scheduling game. And I never know when I'm going to be there <laughs> until like yeah, yeah. the day of, um, And so I'm, yeah, I'm thinking about adding that into my schedule next year. I, um, that, and then I have regularly been attending the Portland farmer's market and the bath farmer's market. Okay. Mm -hmm.
2: So, Justin, you'll have to go there. Show face. I know. (laughs) Well, that's where I meet all the other local beekeepers are at the farmer's market. (laughs) And I don't know if, if you run into the, the similar, I'm not, it's not an issue. It's a good issue where when you. Start talking to someone else that's in your industry or doing the same thing, the conversations go on forever. I thought you were going to say yeah. there was like turf wars at the farmer's market. Oh, it's not. Yeah. Everyone is just so excited. <laughs> so, and I'm sure oyster farming is a little different, but in the beekeeping realm, you could ask a beekeeper, you could ask 10 bee- beekeepers one question and you're going to get 10 different answers. So everyone's super excited yeah. to say, this is how I do it and this is why you should do it this way. And it's just like, okay, well. I do it another way, and then it's just this banter back and forth. And I don't know if oyster farming is – if there's
3: – It's pretty similar.
2: Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, when you run into similar. other oyster farmers, it's like, oh, well, start having those conversations.
3: Yeah. Although, to be perfectly honest, it's not my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> 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 I, I tend to like – I don't know. I spend so much time thinking about it. Um, oh, then right. when you have a moment,
2: you're like, let's talk about something I, else.
3: Yeah, I don't. It's I. I do not like to talk shop.
0: Someone comes up and asks her about her uh, her farming practices, and yeah. she's like, "Well, actually, have you seen this new movie that came out? Because <laughs> that's what I want to talk about." Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I think I think that is. I'm well. I. I sure do get a lot of people who do want to come talk shop, and I mm. yeah.
2: I was gonna say at a farmers market, yeah, you might need to hire someone to replace you because I'm sure it's all shop when people come up.
3: <laughs> it, yeah, it can, I mean, I don't mind the general public who want to, you know, who come Learned with like it. really like basic like learning about it. Right. That, I'm I'm happy to talk about that. I talk about that on a pretty repetitive loop. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like I should have T-shirts made with all the questions. <laughs> <that> <laughs> Read the back of my shirt. Yeah. On a weekly basis. Um, That I I do actually enjoy. It's the like, I don't know, the like nitty gritty details. So I'm just like, I don't know. Like I, I'm not very particular in my own growing techniques. I think I am still experimenting and like, Mm. yeah, I don't know.
0: So we, we talked about uh, how a lot of our guests that we have on are CEOs or, you know, other uh, leadership roles in Very large companies, sometimes massive worldwide corporations. Thousands of employees. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have not done a lot of episodes where we interview people with small businesses who are just operating in the small business space in their local community and, um, you know, just without the plans to really blow up into this huge global worldwide corporation. So, like, what has it been? Is it hard to navigate the industry as a small business like this is it um you know what has been your experience with that like is it kind of implied with everyone that you speak to that like they think that you're you have plans to blow up into this huge company or you know wh- what has it been like just kind of navigating the industry as a small business
3: yeah um that's a good question i mean
0: i, I think... know it's hard because like that's kind of all you know right because that's yeah
2: what you've done. it's hard
3: to tell and i don't put a lot of weight in what other people think either that's the way um, to be uh, That's good. But I would say, you know, like from this standpoint of the resources that are available to like help people get into aquaculture and I think the way like our trade association is kind of set up and the way they operate and their due structure is is definitely geared toward people who are, you know, not intending to operate on as small a scale as I do. Um and yeah, I uh, I don't know that I really paid that much attention to it, though. And I think that my customers, for the most part, are people that I see over and over again and who get to know me pretty quickly and know how I operate. Um, well, and yeah,
2: I don't Well, I think I one know. thing that we've, through this short conversation we've had with you, I think... It's obvious that you know what it is that you want to get from this, right? Like right. you, you're you don't want to be this, Mm-mm. at least not right now, right? You you like working yeah. independently. There's aspects of your work that you're doing that you just really, really enjoy, and and that's and you're, I don't know if status quo is is the right word, but you're enjoying what you're doing, and it's one of those if it's not broke, don't fix it mm-hmm. type type yeah. of deals.
3: Yep. Yeah, for sure. I feel, yeah.
2: And don't break it. I don't know. Don't break. I have.
3: It. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And and or overcomplicated either. Yeah. Which yep. feels That's like a something that is a really easy tendency to have. Yep. Um, and I think I like the other piece that maybe I I didn't mention was just like generally speaking a feeling of like I am not a great employee, <laughs> and <laughs> being able to work alone you know i think i was i did okay managing people but Mm -hmm. it is just like there's a degree of exhaustion and like Mm -hmm. lack of autonomy that Mm -hmm. inevitably comes from that yeah Um,
0: i think there's a certain type of person that is you know thrives on that type of position where you're you're a leader of, of people you're a manager of people and like some people are kind of born for that and then other people yeah like myself like i have never chosen to manage People, it's not something that I think I would be very um effective at, and I, yeah. I know, like, it sounds like you're similar. Where it's like, it's you're you're
1: you'd rather be doing the thing.
0: You'd rather be doing the thing, yeah, yeah, than, yeah. than managing I mean, the I, people doing yeah. the thing. Yeah,
3: I have done it. I have been, I think, pretty good at it, but it is like it's more exhausting than I have, yeah, the patience or energy for. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say, like, I do. I I did hire my sister this year to work a farmer's market for me, and I could see like pulling people in as needed to do like less, you know, like more specific things like that. Um yeah. mm-hmm. needing to rely on help for yeah, that. where you need help. And that feels manageable. Taking on, you know, having a slew of fuller part time employees mm. who I'm, you know, or who somebody is always finding work for is that is that feels different and like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um
1: so and, yeah. um, as yeah. you're navigating the seafood industry and also just like the food industry as a whole, as a small business, you're also navigating it as a woman-owned, woman-founded, and all-woman <laughs> company. And <Yep. laughs> I, I wonder what your experience has been like with that because not only are you a small business, but it's also woman-founded and woman-owned and everything, woman and yeah. I wonder if you experience any challenges with regards to that when you're either marketing or selling or when you're at the farmer's markets, what experiences you've had with that? Um,
3: that's a good question. It's been mostly great. Um,
0: that's good. good and to hear. I
3: think, yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with the how differently I have gone about things um, as well. I, you know I'm not mimicking a business model that anyone around me, certainly not what like any of our larger oyster farms are operating on mm-hmm. um you know i I don't deal regularly with any of our you know our big shellfish buyers or distributors, which are all men as far as I can mm-hmm. tell um too uh I think it's the, safe to
1: say that the seafood industry in Maine is very predominantly male.
3: It is. I mean, I think it is certainly at all of the decision making levels right. and like all of the boat operating levels and all of the like farm management levels. Sure. Um. I think that there is actually a huge percentage of women who are involved in the industry, but they are like in plants processing.
1: Right. Yep.
3: Stuff, not getting paid as much like completely behind the scenes you know mm-hmm. that tends to be like the the you know worldwide statistic with seafood and yeah, gender. i was
0: gonna say i don't think that's a a, a trait specific to maine i think that's no. that's industry-wide nope. we see that
3: yeah yeah and it's all that you know the business owners and the people who are buying and selling and all that are are certainly more male-dominated and i think that the people who you know run and manage our trade organizations and, um, and that sort of thing are also men. Um, and that was like, maybe the one place where I have come across some challenges is in, you know, trying to take advantage of some of the, the like kind of limited educational resources and, and aid and, you know, starting businesses in this sector that did exist when I was getting started is that, you know, I was one of a very small number of women in any of those classes. Um, and that was largely due to the fact that I th- I think that, you know, I just happened to, again, be working on a lobster boat and have access to a boat. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time I like fit the criteria of who they were, were looking to target. And if you're looking to target commercial fishermen, like they're all men. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is uh, like, <laughs> uh i see that as like a a huge red flag in the you know the forward progress of this industry if we're just trying to to you know coerce commercial fishermen into diversifying so that they don't get wiped out if our lobsters leave the gulf of maine like that's not a very diverse group of people that you're appealing to right yeah the pool um,
1: that and you're I, pitching to is not very different from the one that already yeah. exists
3: yeah um and so if you're not letting women into like even the opportunity to take a really basic like 101 class on how to start a business in aquaculture like <laughs> how else are they going to get right. into it yeah. like mm-hmm. they might they might get hired as a farmhand um and that you know i again have not done that so i don't know how much that might help someone out um but yeah i i think that like that was the biggest you know and i didn't have any like Super like negative experiences in any of those classes, but it was funny to like pick up on who they were targeting and how they were going about doing it, and and then you know I know because I now run a business that's pretty visible and on social media and just in the local community, and I you know I get I don't know how many emails you know at the beginning of every season from women looking for jobs or learning experiences mm-hmm. or um, internships or like anything. And yeah, it's, I wish that there, you know, I had any, <laughs> anything else to offer them because I don't have like a big enough boat or the time or energy to, right. to be like providing those opportunities, which, you know, I probably would have loved too, if it was available at the yeah. time. Um, and I was sort of lucky, you know, to stumble on my own just by making friends with Amanda. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Do
0: you know of any uh, programs or organizations that are trying to kind of balance that out a little bit and bring more women into the industry?
3: Uh, No, I don't. I think that I did hear something or read something sometime recently about some kind of like career catalyst program that was new or getting started that um, maybe was a more like open opportunity for people. A little more inclusive. Yeah. Explore. Yeah. Mm um and i've been pretty like vocally critical especially lately about the you know specifically about the way in which we've been you know targeting commercial fishermen as being the only people we want to introduce to the industry around. and w-
0: was the intention of that do you think because they saw that this th- there could be this potential issue with the fishery so they're they're organizing this as a way to kind of counter that and then it I just so happens that, like, that's the demographic within that ind- that part of the industry.
3: I think it's a little bit of that, like, wanting to have a, you safety know, net, a safety yeah. net. Um, I think it's also a little bit uh, of a, a way to, like, you know, there's a little bit of contention. like, lobstering is a very territorial thing. And, like, yeah. I think it's a little bit of, like, a kind of a ploy at, like, we want to help you and, like, be your friend kind of play nice. Um, and I think a little bit of it too is like just this idea that like commercial fishermen are the people who already have a lot of the like hard skills in running small businesses and working on the water. They have, you know, boats and and waterfront access um, mm-hmm. more readily than other people do. And I think that's the other piece. It's like, it's just easier for these yeah. people to right. get in To the business and like we don't have to give them as many resources to help them get started as we would you know somebody who's more along my you know more in my demographic right
1: so it's kind of the easy button yeah. So yes, you mentioned definitely. that you're on social media, and I just have to say that Emily's Oysters is probably my favorite Instagram account to follow. So <laughs> <Thanks>. everyone <laughs> needs to go follow Emily. It's just at Emily's Oysters, right? Yeah, I yep. can't believe you just yeah.
2: took the words out of my mouth because I just went on there. Yeah, it's a good follow. <laughs> I just gave you a follow. <laughs>
3: Thanks. <laughs> <Awesome>. Thanks, guys. <laughs> you appreciate And it. we'll link
2: to it in the show notes awesome. so yes. that anyone Great. that didn't hear what we just said can go to the show notes and follow you as
3: well so it's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me and
1: yeah perfect that was going to be my question what is the (laughs) easiest way to get in touch with you so instagram yeah
3: yeah instagram for sure perfect or facebook but yeah it's been a really powerful tool to reach new customers and Mm -hmm. people and yeah
1: well you do it right it's so great i love following along
3: Does take a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no,
1: for it's, sure. It's probably worth it, though. Like what you were saying earlier about marketing. Yes, that's the because future. I'm so
3: like hyper local too. Mm. Like everybody that I am selling to is either on vacation here or lives here, um, and it's just it's really easy to reach those people, you know, affordably through those platforms. Mm. Um, well, I think awesome. I think
0: that's an important lesson, like a, a, a an important takeaway for this, because like you know we are as Global Seafood Alliance global is in our name you know we do work and outreach work with people all around the world and i think we tend to look at every part of this industry from that standpoint and i think a lot of people that are listening also they they're always thinking about scalability and how can i grow this into <laughs> the biggest company that i can and and i think mm-hmm. it's something to be said like remember that this can be done on a local community level like yeah there's no reason that you can't establish yourself as a small business within your community and live a very happy life, you know, and uh, just stay in that lane and just, you know, and, and be successful. And uh, I think that's an important thing for people to remember that not everything needs to be, especially in the ages of, of social media and everybody is this like, you know, internet celebrity these days, everyone wants to be a quote influencer and have eyeballs on them Mm -hmm. from all around the world. Like it's not necessary to be successful. And I think that's a, an important thing for people to remember.
3: Yeah. I don't, I, I really don't prescribe to that at all. I think that is like, it's just a kind of result of our capitalist, you know, yeah, yeah roots that, exactly. in society. Like, if you're not growing, you're doing something wrong. And I just like, I, why? I don't, I don't get <laughs> it. I think you lose a lot of the like, the, especially with something like oysters or wine or beer, like you lose a lot of the like niche, like specialness of the product. If it's just available everywhere, like you lose the sense Mm. of place. Like I, I want to be selling oysters that like people who come here, you know, for the summer, but live in Georgia or whatever, like can only have here. Um, right. And like, maybe that's a bad business decision. I don't know. I'm making a living and like, I'm on the water yeah. every day. And that's, that was the goal. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and I don't, that's fantastic. I do yeah. And I, you know, because I am a small business and hyper local, like I get all my gear from other local businesses and I buy gas from my local gas station and I get my boat fixed by local mechanics. And like, I, I don't, yeah, I think
2: you got everything you need. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So before we wrap up, my last question is, what is your favorite way to eat oysters? And if it's raw, Ooh. do you have a topping that you put on or actually I'll leave it at that. What's your best way to eat oysters? <laughs>
3: um, I do love them raw. And my favorite topping is just a little bit of fresh lemon juice. Um, okay. That's my favorite. But my close second favorite is to put them on the grill and to melt some. Butter and garlic and mm. lemon juice and dress them with that. It's also pretty unbeatable.
2: Well, now Maddie's drooling. That so, <laughs> so <good. laughs> I'm a Tabasco. Yeah. I'm a I'm a spice. Yeah, Tabasco. I like
1: cock- yeah.
0: cocktail sauce. Generally, is what I.
1: Anything with yeah. garlic is just like game over for me.
3: Yeah, yeah garlic <laughs> and <laughs> shellfish are they're a good combo. They
1: are. Mm-hmm
0: yeah all right, well, I think that's just about all the time that we have, but is there anything else that you want to get out there while you have the platform?
3: Um, oh God, I should have thought of this ahead of
2: time. <laughs> <laughs> all you have to Probably. say is eat Emily's <laughs> oysters <laughs> yeah,
3: eat oysters, ask where they come from, get them yeah, yeah if you're if you're locally. up
0: in maine, definitely seek seek Emily out and uh, some of the other local businesses in right up there in the Freeport area, definitely check it out and support their community.
3: yeah do
0: it (laughs) all right well i think that's all we have so emily thank you so much for joining us and we'll make sure we stay in touch
3: sounds good thanks guys
0: Folks, that was our conversation with Emily Sellinger from Emily's Oysters. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. And I hope you will remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so you can get every new episode automatically downloaded onto your device as soon as they're
2: available. Follow us on Twitter, at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact us for any reason, fill out our online form located at globalseafood.org podcast.
1: And if you liked this episode, then we would so super appreciate if you would leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on.
0: That's right. And if you like what we do and you want to be more involved in some of the work that we do for Responsible Seafood, please check out our membership program. You can find all the information about that at globalseafood.org slash membership. Consider becoming a member today. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye. One more quick thank you to Aqua Bounty for sponsoring this episode of the Aquademia podcast.